coming. Father God, we just thank you this morning for allowing us to be here in this place to worship you, to lift up your name on high. Father, we just we just ask right now that you would just continue to prepare our hearts this morning as we get ready to, to hear from your word, Lord, and, and just allow ourselves to be changed and not walk out here the same as we came in. Father, so you are worthy of our praise. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what you're fixing to do, uh, Lord, and what you're doing right now in this moment. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not preaching, by the way, guys, so y'all, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, But um, we have a special guest this morning, uh, David, and uh, he's no stranger to Sand Springs. He's been here before, Um, so if y'all would just uh, get ready to hear an amazing message uh, and just give him a warm welcome. Turn the microphone on. I just see your smiling faces. How many of you are here this morning? Raise your hand. Good. Most of you are. Some of you will show up later on. I love Pastor Eric. He's one of my good friends. And I think I've been hanging out with you guys since like 2019. So somewhere around four years. And uh, Eric and I just have a great time together when we get together. Most of it's legal. Um, Some of it may not be. No, I'm just kidding. Um, My mother has been uh, one of the constants in my life for 61 years. She's my hero, for sure. And um, when we recognize moms, sometimes, you know, we we have somebody stand up because we want to recognize them, right? But other times, we stand up because we want to thank somebody. And so what I'd like to do this morning is if you are a mom, would you remain seated and let the rest of us stand up and say thank you for all that you've done? Come on, stand up. Say thank you to the moms. Thank you, moms. Thank you, moms. I think most of us in here have had a mother. Just saying, right? I love what the Lord is doing here. Um, I know you guys are in a a building project right now. And uh, I'm just excited what God's doing and I've been able to kind of watch from a distance what the Lord's been doing over the last four years. Our vision is never for a building, amen? A building is a necessary evil for what God is doing. And the reason that we need a building is because God has trusted us with some souls here at Sand Springs Church. And we're stewarding those souls so well that he keeps bringing more. He keeps bringing more people into the kingdom of God through this expression of the body of Christ. Therefore, our, our job is to put structure around the life that God breathes. And so God is breathing on this church. Amen? And so that's what the building is for, is to continue to put more structure around what God's doing. And uh, so we're always focused on people. We're not focused on buildings. But that building may be something that, you know, you're... you're your kids get married in or you may baptize your children there or something of that nature. It's going to be very significant for the future, I know. So very excited about that. Can't wait for you guys to, to be able to get into there. I know it it's, uh, seems like it's been a while, but it'll happen sooner than you think, okay? All right. Um, there was a, a couple, speaking of uh, communication, there was a, a couple, I don't know why I said speaking of because I hadn't spoken of it yet, but I'm speaking of communication. 
there was a couple that uh, wanted to get away for their uh, anniversary, and they lived up in Chicago, and they wanted to go to somewhere that was cooler, so they were going to go to Florida for a vacation. And um, so the, the husband went before the, the, uh, the, the wife to get there to a place that was warmer, and so he was going to prepare all the things, and he got into the hotel, checked into the hotel for her, and uh, noticed when he got into his room, there was a computer in there. They'd put computers in there so you could do emails to friends when you, you showed up. So he types out an email and sends to his wife. How many of you have ever typed out an email and got like one letter or two letters wrong? And you send it. You have no idea where it went, right? No idea. Well, in the meantime, there was a lady in Houston that just came back from her husband's funeral. He was a Baptist pastor, and he was called away to glory after a, after a quick heart attack. So she comes in after the funeral and she begins to read some of the well wishes, you know, on her computer, thinking she would get condolences and sympathy emails. But she reads the first one and screams and passes out. Her son comes in to find out what happened, sees his mom on the floor, and then reads uh, the email that she was reading. And the email says, to my loving wife, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here. And we're allowed to send emails to loved ones. (laughs) I've been all checked in. The place is really nice, but I'm lonely here. So I've made necessary arrangements for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) I can't wait to see you. P.S. It sure is hot down here. Okay, with that in mind, I hope I can communicate a little bit better with that, all right? Uh, One of my favorite, well, my favorite book in the Bible is the Gospel of John. John is different than any of the other Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that's that's a synoptic Gospel. They tell the same story. John came, and after those first three were written, he writes the book of John. So there are things in the book of John that you can't find in any other of the Gospels at all, like Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus, the turning water into wine, many things, many, many miracles. But one of my favorite chapters in John is John chapter 4, the woman at the well. So turn with me there, if you will, this morning, and let's just see if God would share some new truths with us. Um, it's interesting, I've, I've been... Uh, doing this for about 37 years now, and I can read something in the Bible that I have read a hundred times, and then all of a sudden I see something that I've never seen before. Isn't that crazy? You know, we were worshiping earlier, and it just reminds me that there's going to be a day, church, when you're not going to need somebody to stand on a platform and tell you what the Bible means. But there's never going to be a day when we're not worshiping, right? And so you look at you look at. Uh, Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, and we get a glimpse of what heaven is like. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he describes heaven. And then we see the same thing in Revelation that he was seeing 2,000 years prior in Revelation. The the 24 elders standing around the throne, and they see something they've never seen before, and they just fall on their face and worship, right? Well, then they get up, and they go, man, can can you believe what we just saw? Let's, let's do this again. So they dust themselves off. They go before the throne of God and they start worshiping and they see something they've never seen before and they just fall down on their face. And they get up and they go, let's do this again. And they dust themselves off and they go up before the throne room of God and they start worshiping and they see something they've never seen before and it just causes them to fall down on their face. 
This has been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And they've never seen the same thing twice. Isn't that good? So no matter how familiar we get to something in Scripture, something of God, there's layers and things he wants to show us in this. Let's ask the Lord just to bless our time real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing me here to this great people. And Lord, I thank you for your word. And I just ask right now, God, that you would use me in spite of my, my sins, in spite of my shortcomings, that you would use this speaker to bring forth your word for this hour for these people. Lord, we open up our spiritual eyes to see what you want us to see. We take out our spiritual hands to take hold of what you want us to take hold of. We open up our spiritual ears to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at this story a little different. I want to look at it as a movie. You know, when you go to the movies, there's different scenes and a scene will be happening and then it'll close and it'll open up to another scene, right? Sometimes when you go to a movie before the movie even starts or right when it starts, it'll say uh, three weeks prior and it kind of gives you the backdrop of what was going on, okay? So just a few hours prior to this, this, this scene that we're about to get into, there's a woman at her house. And she has a water pot, say water pot. She has a water pot over in the corner. And she looks at that water pot with, with disdain. She, doesn't, she can't stand that thing. Because she knows every day she's going to have to get that water pot and she's going to have to go out of her house into public. And she does not want to do that. She doesn't like the people in the community, and it's, 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 it's both ways. They don't like her. So most people go to the, to, the water, to the well to get water early in the morning when it's cool or late in the evening, and she doesn't go because she just does not want to go. And she's just looking at that water pot, and it just reminds her of all the guilt and all the shame, all the ridicule, everything people are going to say to her when she leaves her house. In the meantime, Jesus is on his way to Samaria with his disciples, and they get to this Jacob's well by a town called Sychar, and Jesus sends his disciples into the town, and he just sits down by the well. Now, most Jews would never go through Samaria. In their economic scenery there, in their geographical nature, Samaria was like the armpit of the community. No one, especially Jews, would ever go near Samaritans. They did not commingle whatsoever. So it was interesting that Jesus decided to go. And then he sends his disciples away, and Jesus sits down by this well at noon in the middle of the day. Okay? That's the, that's the backdrop. And scene one opens. I'm going to go start off with verse 7. A a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And when she came to the well, Jesus says to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She was shocked that a Samaritan man would be talking to a Samaritan woman, much less a Samaritan woman that wasn't uh, married. And so this was just not normal, this was not normal relationship uh, communication going on here. And so she's kind of shocked. Well, then Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You ever had a conversation with Jesus 
and you want to talk about one thing and he really wants to talk about something else. You say, God, I really need to talk. I really need to focus on this. I need you to help with it. He goes, yeah, but let's focus on that. No, God, I want to focus on this. Yeah, but if you'll focus on that, that will take care of this. Because we don't know that. Because he sees and knows everything. And so you're going to see in this, this scene right here how many times Jesus keeps changing the conversation on her. So Jesus just asked for a drink, and he's like, well, if you really knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. Verse 11, the woman says to her, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. In other words, I have a water pot, you don't. Where then do you get this living water you're talking about? She's being a little sarcastic. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? <laughs> Jesus answers and says to her, okay, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He's changing the conversation again. You're, you're thinking about regular water, but I, I see you, you're thirsty for something else. I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for something besides what the world has to offer me. Because what the world has to offer me just keeps giving me just, just short, short relief, and then I'm thirsty again. See, that's what sin is, guys. Sin is a counterfeit option to meet a legitimate need that God put in your life. We have a legitimate need in our life to be loved, to be accepted, to belong. And what sin does is it comes along and says, if you'll do this, then you'll be loved. This, if you'll do that, you'll be accepted. If you do this, you'll feel good about yourself. This will give you joy. This will give you peace. And it's all just counterfeit stuff that will always, and I'm using always on purpose, always leave you thirsty. But Jesus is saying there's something here that won't leave you thirsty. And the woman says to him, now I want you to just, just picture the desperation in her voice when she says, sir, please give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw water. Oh, now we're getting to the bottom of it. It's not just about water and her being thirsty. It's about her having to come to the well every day. She hates this moment. I'm using the word hate. She hates to come to this well every day. And if you're telling me you have something for me that will keep me from having to come out in public and come to this well, I want to know what it is. And so now she's beginning to kind of lock in. There's something more going on here than just physical water. And Jesus says, okay, let's talk about it a little bit further. Go call your husband and come here. We weren't talking about marriage. We weren't talking about husbands. We were talking about water. But Jesus says, yeah, but I want to talk about that. Well, I want to talk about this. But yeah, but if we can get to that, that's going to take care of this. So as soon as he says, you want this water that I'm talking about, you want this living water, then you go call your husband and tell him to come here. And you can see her countenance just fall when she says to him, I, uh, I have no husband. Jesus says, well, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband at all. And that you spoke truly. 
He just read her mail completely. Now we know why she comes to the well in the middle of the day. She has a past. She's been married five times. She's living with a man right now. She's the laughingstock of the community. This woman is calendaring her whole life to avoid people. Do you see that? She chooses to come to the well in the heat of the day, the most difficult time, just so she doesn't have to deal with the ridicule, the finger pointing, the laughing, and all of these things. And so she comes in the heat of the day so she doesn't have to deal with people because she has got a past. She's been hurt. She's been abused. She's been ridiculed. She's the laughingstock of her community. I don't have a husband. I don't have anything. I'm I'm desperate here. You're right. You've only got about five husbands, the one you're with now. Do do you know this, guys? I mean, I know we know it up here, but do you know that Jesus knows everything about you? He knows your past. I mean, we know it up here, but do we know it here? Do you realize that? He knows everything about you, past, present, and future. He is an omniscient God, omni meaning all, omniscient for science. He knows everything, past, present, and future. Amen? So listen, he, Jesus, God can't think the way we think. Because if he could think of something, that would, that would mean that he could think of something that he'd never thought of before. And he can't think of something he's never thought of before because he knows everything. Right. Tilt, tilt, tilt. He's an omnipresent God. This is going to be good for some of you. Some of you will get this. He's an omnipresent God, meaning he's everywhere all the time. Now we know that, but do we know it? Because many of us in this room, we're dealing with fear. We're dealing with worry. I'm afraid that this is going to happen. I'm going through a difficult time in my life right now. I don't know how it's going to turn out. And I think I may have lost something. I think, I think I may have lost my retirement. I may have lost relationship. And I'm just afraid of what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to be in a couple of years. But while Jesus is here, he's not bound by time or space. He's literally... literally Two years ahead of you right now. Right now. He's already there. Tilt, tilt, tilt. <laughs> Do you get it? If, he's, if, if you believe it, he's not bound by time or space. He's, he's two years into your future. He's a year in your future. He's five years in your future. He's getting your desk ready. He's getting that house ready. He's getting that relationship ready. Right now, he's doing that. And when you look at your future without him, you see fear. But when you take the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of gods, and you put him over your future, everything changes. Right? And so he knows what's going on in this woman's life. He knew about it before she showed up. God knew about your problem before your problem became a problem. And he had a solution for your problem before your problem became a problem. Some of you believe that. I'm preaching better than your amen, and I promise you that. This is good stuff. I said that one time, and somebody said, no, you're not. <laughs> so Jesus says, you know, she, you know you've, you've had five husbands. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Okay? Now, you want to get into this. I'll get into it with you. He says, you Jews say that we have to go to this temple to worship. My forefathers say we have to go to this mountain to worship. What about me? Where do I go? I've been outcast by my, my community. I can't go to that mountain. I'm not a Jew. I can't go to there to worship. I am an outcast. No one cares about me. No one wants me to be anywhere. What about me, Jesus? 
Jesus says to her in verse 21, this is really good, guys. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, uh, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. She says, what, what about me? Where, where do I go? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you about that. Okay, there's, there's coming a time. You know what? It's actually happening right before you. When you're not going to have to go to that mountain. You're not going to have to go to that temple. You're not going to have to go anywhere to find me because I found you. And instead of you going and hanging out with me, I'm going to come in and live inside of you. And everywhere you go, we're going to go together. And at any moment you want to stop, you stop and worship in the truth of who I am as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of gods. Amen? And, and the truth of who you are, a sinner in need of a Savior. I got saved when I was nine years old. But I'm telling you, I still need saving every day. <laughs> I need the saving grace of Jesus Christ every day. Every day. And he's saying, that's changing right now before you. You can worship now anywhere and everywhere you go. And you do it by the truth of who you are. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. And I have been saved, but I still have sin sometimes in my life. And I have discovered, this is good, this is a good secret. I share this with somebody. I have discovered that you don't have to clean up to come to God. You can come into the house with your mud, your filth, anything and everything the world's thrown on you, and his blood will wash you clean just that quick. But there are a lot of voices out there that tell you, you can't go before God like that. You're not worthy. Well, you got that right. I'm not worthy. You don't have a right to be, be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's where you're wrong. I do have a right because someone paid for my pass so that I can go through. <laughs> and I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you've done this morning. You can come boldly into the throne room of God and worship him under the truth of who he is and the truth of what you need and the spirit of who he is and the spirit that's inside of you. That is just good news. The woman says to him, oh, I, I've heard of this Messiah that you're talking about who's called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us, he'll tell us all this stuff. I get it. I understand. And so she's, she's kind of frustrated still. I, I, I know. I've, I've heard of all this. And it, can, can you just see Jesus walking up to her and saying, just, just kind of taking her by the face and putting her face in his hands and going, look at me. The one who speaks to you right now, I am the Messiah. <laughs> Boom, everything changes right there. Everything changes. I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the one that's standing here in front of you. I've overcome in my resurrection death. I've overcome addiction. I've overcome despair. I've overcome worry. I've overcome fear. I've overcome frustration. I've overcome sickness. I've overcome anything and everything you walked into this door with today. He has overcome it. He is he. 
there's just nothing that can compare to who the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you have no options. You are changed. It's not like you can say, well, that, that was fun. No, you have an encounter with the living God. You are changed. It has very little to do with you. <laughs> a lot of you know that uh, I was a Dallas police officer for 10 years. I may have shared this story. Uh, but when I was in patrol the first few years, there was a guy on my beat, and he was dealing drugs in my area, and he was using young 10, 11, and 12-year-old kids to do it. So, you know, they would hold his, his drugs and he would just take one at a time and give it to a car that came by and get their money. So when the police showed up, who got in trouble? The young kids that were holding the drugs. So I, I was really frustrated. I really wanted to lay hands on him and pray for him. <laughs> but this was a particular Sunday. You know, I could never catch him, you know, with all this stuff on him. But this particular Sunday, I was working by myself I didn't like working on Sundays, much rather have been in church, wasn't by, I mean, I, I, typically we never work by ourselves, and I was just by myself this day. I turn a corner, and there he's standing on the corner, he's got that deer in the headlight look, right? It's like, uh-oh, and I knew as soon as I saw him, he had everything on him, and so I arrested him, I, I got him, I, I laid hands on him, placed him in my squad car, you know, thank you, Jesus, and, and I, I, I got him, and I was by myself. I didn't need any help to arrest this drug dealer. Yeah. He's handcuffed in my squad car. We're going to jail now. And I called my wife, honey. I finally caught him. Hey, talk to her. Tell her I finally, I finally caught you. I'm laughing, ridiculing him. He's not said a word. He just got his head down and we're going to jail. I'm so pumped up, man. I got my music going. And as soon as I get going on, I hear this voice inside of me. Tell him about Jesus. Well, I know that's not God, because <laughs> not for this guy right here. That's not, that's just, I don't know where that came from, maybe in the tacos at lunch, but I'm, I'm turning my music up a little bit louder. I'm not listening to that. No, David, tell him about Jesus. Well, well God, maybe my squad car lights are blocking your view. Maybe you, you don't understand who I have here right now. No, tell him. I've been walking with God long enough that if he tells me to do something 10 times, eventually I'm going to do it. But I want to be transparent with you guys this morning. I did not want to do this. This was a Jonah moment for me. And so I get, we get to, to, the, to the prison. I, I go underground where, where we have to park. I park my squad car. I throw my squad car up and park. I take my keys and I throw them up on the dash because I am mad. I cannot believe God would want to do this. And this is exactly what I did. I went, oh, I cannot believe I'm about to do this. <laughs> hey, do you, do you, um, do you, hey, do, do you know who Jesus is? <laughs> when I said the name Jesus, everything in that man broke just like that. It wasn't anything to do with me. I didn't want to do it. And he starts crying uncontrollably in my squad car. And I felt like the biggest idiot that I almost missed that opportunity. I said, hey, man, you want to pray and ask Christ to come into your life? He just shook his head, crying. 
He got saved right there in my squad car. Now, listen to me. He still had to go to prison, and he would write me letters on a monthly basis thanking me for helping him get set free. Because that's what the name of Jesus will do for you. Amen? This is what she just dealt with. She just encountered this, this encounter with the living God, and everything in her life has been radically changed. And while Jesus is talking about this, the boom has happened. Everything is taking place. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples, whom always had terrible timing, they marveled that he was talking with a woman when they showed up. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Listen to this. This is a very, very important verse 28. See, God's telling you. Listen to this. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. The woman... When she saw the disciples, she heard what Jesus said, then left her water pot and went running into the city. What did that water pot represent? Bondage, past, shame, hurt, wounds. But when she had an encounter with Christ, she did the right thing. I'm going to leave this here at your feet. And I'm going to take off into my new life. And she went running into the city. Scene one closes. Scene two is a very quick scene. Scene two goes like this. The woman went her way into the city and said to the men in the city, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Listen to me, guys. This is a woman that was calendaring her entire life to not be with people. She, she did everything she could to avoid people. She has an encounter with Jesus and she's running through the city saying, please come see a man that told me everything. Was she changed? Did she have an evangelistic call on her life? Come on now. A whole entire town gets turned upside down. Jesus has to stay there for a couple more days because everybody was getting saved. Did she have a call of God on her life? I wonder how many of us have a call of God on our life, but our past is keeping us from moving into that call. I wonder what's, what's pulling us back out of it again. Because as soon as she got rid of the past, as soon as she left the water pot there, she moved into the call of God and everything changed. Lord, how many of us are missing our call because we're still letting our past dictate our present and our future? We're still letting the voices of the community tell us what we can and can't do. We're still letting the enemy tell us what we can and can't do. And God's saying, there's no limits with me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly far beyond what you could ever ask or think up according to him that flows through us. That's good stuff, guys. That is really, really good stuff. So scene two closes with her running through the city, asking everybody to come see this man. Scene three opens up with Jesus with his disciples. In the meantime, verse 31, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the goofy disciples says to one another, has anyone brought him some food or something? What's he talking about? He's excited because he just tapped into the kingdom with this woman. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. But he uses it for a teaching time in verse 35. He says, look out beyond this field right here. Would you not say that it's still four months unto harvest? 
So the disciples are looking out at a gray harvest, a brown harvest, and they're like, yeah, it's about four months, and they have to harvest. Then Jesus says to them, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, for the fields are already white unto harvest. When a, when a field is white, that means you're about to lose it. You have to harvest it right then, okay? So did the fields just all of a sudden miraculously change from brown to white? No. He said, stop looking at the physical. Lift up your eyes. When they lifted up their eyes, he said, I say the fields are white unto harvest. What were they looking at? All those people in that town that were running towards them. I wonder how many of us need to change our perspective. How many of us still have our eyes down, downcast, hurt, upset, looking at the physical, looking at our past, looking at our hurts, looking at our wounds, and Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes. I've got so much more for you. Do we need to change our perspective? I'll end with this. You guys ever been to a church where they have like testimony Sunday? They'll do testimonies Sunday nights. Small country Baptist churches will do that from time to time where they'll just open up the, the pulpit and you come and give a testimony about God in your life. This particular church was doing that. And when the pastor opened it up, there was an older gentleman in the back, kind of shuffled his way up front and made his way to the pulpit. And he starts telling this story. And as he's telling it, he's seeing some, some teenagers sitting on the front row. They're kind of cutting up, not, not paying much attention much attention but he starts his testimony he says there was a father that uh, decided one day to go fishing his son was there and his son asked if he and a friend of his could go dad said yeah you guys can come come on so the father and the two boys they go out fishing and in the distance the father can, can see there's a storm coming in after a while he tells the boys hey hey guys let's get our fishing lines in I think there's a storm coming we need to get out of here so they begin to reel in their line. They get all their tackle together. And as the father began to turn the boat around, a big, huge wave comes over the bow of the boat and washes the son and the son's friend overboard. Now, about this time, the old man that's telling the story, he notices the teenagers are kind of paying some more attention to him now. He goes on and he says the father was in distress. He looks over and he sees his son come up on this side of the boat. He sees his son's friend come up on this side of the boat. And he reaches back and he's got one lifeline. And he begins to swing it, to throw it. He knows that if his son were to die, he would be in heaven. He's a Christian. He doesn't know whether his son's friend is. And so as he's swinging this lifeline, he says, I love you, son. And he throws the rope to his son's friend. Young man caught the rope and he pulls him back in and gets the boy in, turning around just in time to throw the rope to his son to see his son go down for the last time. The old man just kind of looks up from the pulpit and just says, that's the love that God has for us. And he shuffles his way back to his seat. After the service, the boys kind of made their way over to the old man and they said, sir, we, we enjoyed your story. It's kind of hard to believe, though, but we enjoyed it. The old man says, well, that's what the father's done for us when he gave up his son. 
the boys said, yeah, we understand all that. We, we know that. But it's kind of hard to believe that a father really here would do something like that. The old man looked up with a tear in his eye and he said, oh, that's easy. Because I was the one that caught the rope. I wonder how many of us are here this morning and God's throwing us a lifeline. Saying, you don't have to live in the past. I know you got hurt. I know what happened to you. But you don't have to live there. You can come live with me. And I can change everything. You don't have to be downcast. Focusing on what the world says to focus on any longer. Lift up your eyes. Change your perspective. Take hold of what I'm offering you this morning. Because you do not have to leave this room the same way you came in. You don't. Let's all stand if you would. We're not going to do anything long, but I I do want the prayer team to come forward right now. And I think a, a message like this really, it challenges you. You know, maybe somebody hurts you. Um, Maybe something has been keeping you from moving on with what the Lord's called you to do. And God's brought this country boy here from Prosper, Texas to come tell you, you don't have to live like this any longer. So we're going to open up the altars. You can come if you need someone to pray with you. Our prayer teams are going to be here. They're going to pray with you. Maybe you need to bring your imaginary water pot and just leave it at these steps. Maybe you just need to come and kneel right here. Maybe you need to do this for some, someone else that you know has been hurting. Whatever the moment is right now, I'm imploring you, do not let this moment pass you by. We're just going to sing a little bit, and we're going to take a few minutes, and you can come on right now if you want to come on. But God is asking, would you take this lifeline? Would you come? And would you be willing to walk out of this room different than when you came in? The altars are open. They're here to pray for you. Come on.